we've, um, we're going to get right into it now. We've been in these letters of John. We've been, we've been going through uh, the letters of the Apostle John. We've been, we've been on this series really since Easter. The week after Easter, we began it. And we're going to go through these. We're going to be in this until probably mid-August. We're, we, we're going to be done. So we're about halfway through it now. Today's actually where we turn a chapter. Today we're going to read just a little bit of the, the last couple of verses in chapter 2. And then we're going to go into chapter 3. And we're going to read through that. And, and the more that I study this, and the more that I'm digging into this passage, and I know people say that I, this happens every time we do a series, is it keeps extending and it gets longer and longer. And you're like, why is it getting longer? Well, we're diving in and we're studying. I know one passage was three verses and we did two whole weeks on it. And uh, the, the more that I'm studying it and the more that I'm, I'm just sort of diving in and praying about it and be, trying to be mindful, God, what are you doing through this? And what can we do in our communities uh, what, what, could, what is it saying to us here? Uh, that's something that I realized is you could spend your whole life studying this book. This is a very good book. This would be, it would be a good use of your time to do that. But you could spend the, your entire life studying it and you wouldn't even get close to have studied the whole thing. You, you may have a, a loose understanding of the whole thing, but you're not going to grasp every single detail of it no matter what. We could take, uh, we could take just this passage that we're going to read today, and we could open the church up for seven days this week, and every day I could do a new teaching on that passage, and you could come in, and, and we still wouldn't cover it all. In fact, this week, we, during the week, uh, we, were, we were here, and Chris was here, and I was bouncing off of Chris. Some of, I was showing him the scripture we're going to go through this week, and he's like, this could be an entire series. This should be an entire series. That passage is just so loaded, and we don't have time to do that uh, today. But it, it is like that with a lot of these passages. They could be entire series. And so the more and more that I kind of go along in this journey, the more I realize how important it is uh, to just be really prayerful and to be really, really mindful in studying these passages just to figure out, just first and foremost, God, what do you want to do in our lives, in our community right here and right now? Because our time together, these moments, they're very limited. And so my goal is to, in these times, really to just be a conduit of the Holy Spirit, to deposit something into you that you maybe need to hear that for your life today, out of this ancient text, out of this letter that a pastor wrote to his church 2,000 years ago. And... So there's going to be things we miss. I know in this passage particularly, you're going to be like, you, could, you should have said this, or you could have done this. There's going to be things we're going to miss. There's going to be a lot of perspectives that we could have taken. It's like that old saying we say sometimes, we say, well, God spoke, and the rest is commentary. So the rest is what we do with it. Like, we have the Bible, this is God's word, this is him speaking, and from there, it's what's that conversation lead to. Uh, and so a lot of what we do here on a Sunday morning is actually meant to be a conversation starter. Not necessarily just a bunch of conclusions on the scriptures. When we did our core value series, we said one thing we value is we value conversations. We value taking what we heard and then going and talking about it and bouncing it off of each other and thinking, well, how does that resonate with me? How does that apply in my life? And even weighing it. It's like, is that, is that what it's saying or is it not? So that's kind of what we are all about here. So we're going to do that today. So if you would, let's open up our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through 29. And then we're going to read on through 1 John 3, 10. We're just going to go all the way through that. So it's a, it's a nice, hefty load of scriptures today. Uh, so the last two verses of chapter 2 say this. Uh, say this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame. 
at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now what you're going to see happens here, that's how we end chapter 2, and what you're going to see happen here is at the end of chapter 2, John, he actually kind of interrupts that thought, that thought that says, if you practice righteousness, that's the evidence that you've been born of God. So he interrupts that thought, and then he picks it back up again in verse 4, but in verse 1 through 3, he kind of gives us something a little bit different. He says this, it's just loaded with grace. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. Verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who hopes, or everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And then after that, John goes back to that kind of first thought. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness as, uh, whoever practices righteousness as righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord God, thank you so much for your holy scriptures, Father God, for your inspired scriptures that are that have the power even today to divinely speak to us in our lives right now, with where we are in our families and in our lives and in our city and in our world, God, and figuring out what does this mean for us today? And Lord, it's a, very, it's a very loaded scripture, Father God, and I pray, Lord, that you would give me grace as I try to navigate it and try to make it life to us here today, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me, that everything that you would have me to say today, let me just say that and only that and let everything else just fall to the ground before it ever even comes out of my mouth. We love you and we thank you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for those of you who have been with us, some of you know that on Thursday nights for the last, uh, for the whole spring now, not now on Thursdays we're in Kids Club. You've got to come out to Kids Club. It's, it's amazing. Uh, so we're off of Equip. But, but when we're not doing Kids Club, we do something called Equip. And it's kind of a Bible study. We'll go through a book, uh, either a book of the Bible or a, a book that will kind of help us with, our, with Christian living. And, and anyway, Don and Chris, they led us through this book called Streams of Living Water over the course of 
the, the spring. And the book Springs of Living Water, it's all about spiritual formation. It's about spiritual disciplines and about kind of figuring out which of these streams is right for your life. And what we would do each week is we would teach on a stream and they would give these really amazing teachings on it. And then we would, and then we'd have like a Q&A time, a dialogue where we could actually talk about it and ask questions. It was awesome. And then after that, we would actually try to practice it a little bit to see the kind of if this stream, does it fit you, does it not? Because everybody kind of has a different spiritual discipline that might be more up their alley. And we, we took, we took um, personality tests and tried to figure out where does each person fit, and then we started practicing things. So like, so like when we were doing Gifts of the Spirit, we actually would practice prophesying, and we practiced praying for each other for healing, and just, just seeing kind of what the Spirit does and how it speaks to us. It was a very practical approach to the spiritual disciplines. But one of those weeks was called the, uh, it was something called the incarnational tradition, or it was called the sacramental life. And the idea for, behind this tradition was we would practice the presence of God in our everyday tasks, in everyday life. The idea is we're fi- how do we find God in our work, right? In, in the Hebrew language, I've taught you guys this before, but the word for work in Hebrew is the word avad. So uh, Moses says, let my people to Pharaoh. God says through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go so they can avad, so they can, so they, oh sorry, I said that wrong, so they can worship, okay? So they can worship me. Because the word for worship and the word for work are actually the exact same word in the Hebrew, which is actually fascinating. So you get this word of worship for God, and worship to God is avad, and then you get this word of work, and it's the same word. So, you, so to, to the Hebrew people, work and worship, they were never meant to be something that were separated. They were meant to be the same thing. They're, they're, literally, work is worship. They're not separate. You could be worshiping at your job just as much as you're worshiping today when Emily and Drew were leading us in that amazing, powerful worship set that they did today. Uh, so that night at Equip, the idea was how do we incorporate God into even the most basic tasks that we perform? Because the truth is, guys, and we all know this, God is with us. He's with us in the high moments. He's with us in the low moments. He's he's with us when we're working. He's with us when we're resting. He's with us when we're worshiping, and we can obviously so clearly feel him and see him. So, but what Chris had us do, and it was very, very awkward, was he had us all come together, and he had us color. He gave us these bookmarks with these these kind of creepy design on it, um, and he asked us to color it for like 20 minutes straight. And so we're, we're coloring this thing, right? And for some people, this was really painful to do. It was like, this is not fun. I don't like this. It's awkward. One person actually described it as agonizing. I was like, dude, I could spend 20 minutes just coloring this. So good job, Chris. Thanks for putting us through it. No, but everybody handled, handled the picture and the drawing of it a little bit differently, and everybody came out with a very different bookmark. So some people filled it in more broadly, like they would do like huge chunks here and here, and you know, and then, and just so they could get it done, and you, they'd show this like completed work. But for me, I picked up one crayon, and I would be like, Like slowly doing it like a couple at a time. And, and then I would set the crayon down, I'd get another color out, and I'd do the same thing. Just, just slowly putting, trying to get the detail right, trying to fill in every little thing. So it moved really slow for me. And after about 20 minutes, we all stopped and we gathered together to recap. And I was frustrated because this is all that I'd gotten done. But it's so detailed, it's so perfect. Look at the, like, the lines and oh man, it's good. And so Chris, what he does is he asks us to, to, 
to look at what we had done, to sort of just like pray on it, think on it, say, God, is there, is there anything at all that you're subtly trying to say to me through the simple act of how we choose to draw on a bookmark? Now, again, this is an exercise showing about how God is in everything, right? And everybody's sharing their thoughts, and everything, like, everybody's like all happy, and they're uplifting thoughts, and they're all like cheery, and they're like, it's all that good stuff, right? It, but when it got to me, I looked at this thing, and it's so completely incomplete, it's so far from having all the lines filled in, and as dumb as this may sound to you, the first thing that came to my mind, the first thing that I felt when I was trying to diagnose my feelings about this bookmark was I felt guilt. I felt guilty. And what I said when, 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 I asked, when, when Chris asked what I think I could learn from this moment or if there's anything perhaps I'm feeling in this moment, I said something like, I tried to do too much. And I didn't get hardly any of it done. I should have taken a more loose approach. approach to done, you know, I could have done more with this, right? I tried to fill in every single line, and so I probably didn't even get to 10% of it. And right away, and this is, this is how Satan works. This is how my, my mind got filled right away with all these things that I've started and I haven't finished. Like I think about my house. You go to my house, you're like, wow, that, there's no wall there. There's no wall there. There's no wall there. There's, no, there's a toilet there, but there's no floor. Like, you're like, that's... <laughs> I think about that, right? I think about some of the projects that we're doing that I'm like, that I feel like God's given us. And I was like, God, you've clearly given me this vision. You've given us this vision. We're on board, and we just aren't there yet. And so when Chris said this to me, he says, well, what do you feel? I said, man, I feel like maybe I'm just trying to do too much. And I, I know that was not the point of that particular practice. That the point was to affirm you and to remind you that everything is spiritual. Moses, he sees God in, in a fire, in a burning bush, right? But for Elijah, he didn't see him in the fire. He had to hear him in the subtle whisper, right? Everybody experiences God a bit differently, and that's kind of what the point is of this thing. But yet, as I looked at this thing, right, this bookmark, I didn't feel God. All I felt was guilt, so I wasn't sure what to do with it. So what I did was I took the bookmark and I put it in my Bible. It's still here right now. In fact, I, uh, I, I've been keeping it with us as we've been reading through 1 John. I've been using that as the bookmark to always find my place in 1 John. But here it is so far. You'll see. Wonderful, right? And I left it there. And every time I see it as I'm reading through and trying to process this pa these passages, I look at it and I always wonder, God, is there anything more in there for me? Is there something else I can get out of this? Because I, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I really do. Like, I, feel like, I feel like we've sought God. I feel like God's given us direction. And I feel like we're, we're walking in that. So is there something else you can get out of this? Now, it didn't help that when I, got, when I went home one night and I was putting Brooklyn to bed, she showed me this drawing that she had just pictured, Drew. I'm like, wait a second. She did every single one. Right, she was a little broad right there with her yellows and yeah, a little bit broad there with that. You know, she, she could have probably been a little more specific, but <laughs> that's my six-year-old. So I'm just like, God, come on. This is, this is taunting me. But you know that at night at Equip, right? We're all together. Dawn's talking about her bookmark and it's life and it's love and it's grace, right? Drew's talking about his and it's grace. Uh, Ella and Foster are talking about theirs and it's grace and it's amazing and everybody loves it. It seems like for everybody else it was a positive message. But for me, it wasn't grace. It was guilt. Now, as I was reading that scripture this morning... 
and you, hopefully prayerfully, were listening very carefully and you were following along and you were listening to every word that I was saying. It is very possible and in fact likely that many of you, as I was reading, felt guilt. It is also very possible and in fact likely that as I was reading, many of you felt grace. John is very, very specific about the issue of sin in this passage, isn't he? He's very specific to point out that a person who practices sin, that is a person who makes a lifestyle of sin, who continues in it, who chooses that as their way of life, he says they are not of God, but they're actually of the devil. But yet at the same time, It's absolutely filled with one of the most beautiful images of grace that we get in the entire Bible, saying, oh my gosh, he's like, like, guys, can you even even fathom how deep the Father's love for us, that he would call us children of God, that God loves us so much that he would call us his children, that even as broken as I am, as broken as you are, that he would still call us children? Well, how did you read it? Did you read grace? Or did you read guilt? And if you read grace, do you feel guilty about that? And what I mean by that is this. See, I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of people in my life who for them, this is their struggle. They don't believe that they deserve the grace of God. And part of their problem might be that they talk to me and the first thing I tell them is you don't. You don't deserve it. Because they don't deserve it. I don't deserve it either. That's what makes it grace. We don't deserve it. But the problem is that because they don't believe that they deserve it, they have a very hard time of grasping it and a very difficult time of actually accepting it in their lives. And the center section of 1 John 3, the section that I read to you, is one of those verses that they take me to and they'll be like, but look, but look, look, see what it says, look, see what it says. It says that, it says that, If if I'm still sinning, I'm not of God. I I still sin sometimes. I'm I'm of the devil. And so they say, I read that, and I am just so confused. And in all fairness, it's a very confusing passage, especially when you read it in the context of this whole piece of this letter of 1 John, because 1 John 1, I believe it's 1 John 1.10, It says that if you say that you don't sin, you make God a liar, okay? So John, at the beginning, he's like, hey, don't you dare say that you don't sin, because if you say that, you're going to make God out to be a liar. But then in in chapter 3, he's like, but if you keep sinning, then you don't have God at all, right? So what is that? Now, to me, I I believe the key to contrasting these two passages is very obvious. First of all, it would be very arrogant and it would belittle the gospel of Jesus Christ to say that you don't sin. That would be calling God a liar because God saw the world, he saw how broken it was, he saw that it had sin, so he said this is, these people are so valuable but they're so broken that I need to send my only son Jesus to die for them. And if you wanna tell God that he didn't need to do that, I wouldn't tell him that. That's, that makes God, that's why I say, you say you don't sin, you're making God out to be a liar, okay? But the word that John seems to really highlight in this passage, in these verses that we read today, is the word practice. 
Verse 4, whoever makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Verse 10, whoever does not practice the righteousness of God, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. See, what 1 John 3 is saying is that if we fall into a life of deliberate sin, that is choosing to spend our time practicing sin rather than righteousness. So this is different than falling. It's different from making a mistake. It's different from sinning. What this is talking about is to continue to walk in, to practice, and to even justify a sinful lifestyle. It's to live your life as if sin doesn't cost anything. So there's no harm in continuing to do it. It's the practice of sin. Guys, grace is amazing. But grace is not a reason to sin. Grace is not an excuse to sin. Attached to your sins comes the highest price tag imaginable. It is the price that you simply cannot pay. And so just like John says in 1 John 2, he says, little children, don't sin, but you're going to sin. And when you sin, please know this, you have an advocate. You have somebody who will plead your cause. Now, that is clearly not saying what, that you, it's whenever you choose to ignore the teaching of Jesus and to throw out the way of Jesus and to stop loving people like Jesus loved them and not even try to live a life that is pleasing to God. That is very obvious. You are living in darkness when that's you. What it is saying is that if you cling to the cross of Jesus Christ, even though you will fall, Jesus will pick you up again every single time. This passage gives us a very clear understanding that if you think you can use grace as a pass to sin, you don't understand grace at all. Paul puts it like this in Romans 6, uh, 1 and 2. He says, what shall, we, uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. He's, he's exclamation. He's shouting it. By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Now, this is, this is where you see people hear this, but you have to realize this is also the same guy who one chapter later, just a few words later in his letter, says, I keep doing the things that I hate. I don't want to be doing them, but I just keep on doing them. So Paul gets it, guys. People fall. People slip. People make messes of their lives. But there's a difference between a person who accepts the love and the grace of Jesus, right? A person who acknowledges, oh my gosh, Jesus was so willing to step into my broken world and actually give me a hope. There's a difference between a person like that and a person who views Jesus as your get out of hell free card. A pass to live any way that you want. And I believe that what John is saying here, it could be summarized like this. There is a way to read this passage as grace and not guilt, but yet still be completely changed by it. There is a way to look at life after becoming a Christian without thinking, great, now I have a million new rules that I have to keep and I have to spend my whole life trying to keep up on. And I believe that John gives us that solution, that path to not living a life that practices sin, and it is all found in your identity. It is incredibly important to understand who you are in Christ. Because if you continue to live your life believing that you are what you do, 
or that your worth is wrapped up in the things that you've accomplished, then every time that you succeed, you're going to be proud, you're going to have pride, it's going to be gross. And every time that you fail, you're going to be depressed. We did a 14-week uh, series on Ephesians last summer. The whole book is just packed full of identity things, who you are in Christ, the way your life is transformed in Christ, and how we're saved only because of Christ. This is what John is getting at here. It is an identity. Your identity, according to John, is not a sinner, even though you sin sometimes. It's not a writer, even if you're a writer. It's not a preacher, even if you're a preacher. It's not a lumberjack, even if you're a lumberjack like Spencer, who, who's been gone for the last couple of months lumberjacking. Excited for him to get back. Right? John says your identity is found in this. You are a child of the living God. Your identity is found in the way that you are a part of a family. A very, very powerful family. This is like, this is the family to be in. Which family in those days had a very, had even more significance than it does in our world today. A lot more. In, in that day, your whole story was wrapped up in your family. So like if a person would abandon his family and he would go and do really well for himself and become wealthy and then not go back and take care of his family, that person would not be considered successful. That person would be considered a failure. And that, and that, it, that's, that's how it was there. Like family was everything. Okay, now, now look again at what John says in 1 John, in verse 1, 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are, right? We are in the family now. But then look at the second half of verse 1. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. Now maybe this has happened to you in your own life or in your own family, People often, and this could be good judgments or bad judgments, people often judge the son by the father or people connected to you by blood. That this is a very common thought. Like the thought is that like you'll meet someone and when you meet somebody you think this person is likely at least to a degree going to be like, be a reflection of somebody that I already know, the person they're related to. They're probably going to be kind of like that person. Uh, for example, uh, I've told you before that as cheesy as it is, Don and I were somewhat partially set up by my parents. Uh, I, I give my parents about 5% of the credit. I give MySpace 95% because I think it's, it's, either way it's really creepy. Either your parents are setting you up on dates or MySpace is where you're meeting your girlfriend. But either way, it's a little weird. But uh, no, but that was the olden days. We, they introduced us sort of, but we, didn't, but we talked on MySpace. That was like the old, that, that's what face, it used to be MySpace before Facebook for, for all you ancient people who are, realize how we're so ancient, right? Uh, and, but what happened was this, Don, my parents had a, have worked with Don's sister and her husband, and my parents were very fond of Don's sister and her husband. They loved this couple. They loved Don's sister, and when they found out that Don's sister had a sister who was available, right away, what they say, they said, well, you got to introduce him to Jacob, because it was a positive experience with somebody else that caused them to make a positive judgment on, the, on her family. And for us, it worked out. Another example, in the same way, right? People who know my dad and are familiar with his ministry and love his ministry, when I talk to them, this happens more than you'd know, automatically they credit me as, oh, you must be good at what you do. Because of how good my dad was as a pastor during his ministry and during the time that he was a pastor. They won't come hear me because we're in Detroit and they're scared to death to come. But, they, but they'll tell me, you, I'm sure it's going really well because you're Mark Bender's son. It has nothing to do with me at all. 
But on the contrary, growing up, I've also seen teachers in school who would treat somebody in class less graciously because their brother two years before them gave the teacher such a hard time. You see how that goes. How people view your family has a, a very impact, has a huge impact on how they're going to view you. And in a world that is so hostile to God, next week we're going to really dive into this. In a world that is so hostile to God, we cannot be surprised when they're hostile to us too. Because we belong to God. And I love that John throws this in there because it's not going to be all butterflies and roses and gummy candy. Like, it's not, that's not going to be the entire, our entire journey. Like, it's, there's going to be great moments, but there's also going to be hard moments. And any, but the reality is that you should have comfort in this, that any trouble that we may experience along the way is only a very, very faint reflection of what Jesus actually went through. But then what John does is he then diverts right back to the blessings again. And he diverts to what is to come because the truth is, no matter how much the world may come at you, no matter how hostile it may be to you, it's worth it. It's worth it that the world may be cold to you sometimes. Because the benefits are greater than anything that anybody could ever take away from you. Because when you truly are a son, you're in the family. And when you're in the family, you stay a son. Jesus told a parable. We're familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. It's probably the most famous parable that Jesus ever told. And, and, and in this parable, right, it, 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 it explains how it doesn't matter what this boy did wrong. Because this boy squandered his father's money. He went to his father. He basically said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can you just give me your inheritance now so I can go spend your money however I'd like? And the dad surprisingly complied. He said, sure, take, all, take, take your share. Be gone. Uh, and, you know, go do what you need to do. The, he did horrible things with the money. Horrible things. You, you try to line your life up in the things that you've committed and the things that you've done wrong and try to line it up with the prodigal son. You, you're, you're not standing even on the same scale. It didn't matter what he did wrong. Giving over to a life of sin. Making his father and the whole house look stupid. The moment that boy wanted to come home, that father welcomed him like a son. That father threw him a party because that son that he wasn't sure if he would ever even see again, he came home. And he didn't make him a slave, even though the son thought, oh, he's going to make me a slave. No, he didn't do that. It's just how we think it, too. We think we're going to run back to God, and maybe he'll accept us, but he's going to give us the, the peanuts. He'll give us what's left. He'll make us slaves. We think that for the mistakes that we made, he's going to make us pay. But John says, no, you are a child of God. That's who you are. You were born into the family, and you have all the rights of a son. And then verse 9 says that God's seed abides in you. And if that is your identity, that God is your father, if the God of the universe truly is your father, you're not going to want to sin because you're going to want to make your father proud, aren't you? This is not a distant dad. You know, we get the, we get the um, Jesus. One of the things Jesus calls God a lot is he calls him Father. And in the Lord's Prayer, he says, our Father, who's this, who, uh, our Father who's in heaven. And we think heaven means far away, but the word heaven is the Greek word, Uranus, and what it, it also can be translated as air. So what a lot of times people would say when, they, when they'd be 
interpreting this, they say, God, Jesus was saying, our Father, who is as close to me as the air that I breathe, hallowed be thy name. It's not a distant dad. It's not a deadbeat dad. It's a father who is as close to you as the air that you breathe, who provides every step of your journey for you, for your entire life, and who loves you so much that he would send Jesus to die for you so you wouldn't have to die. And his seed abides in you. And when his seed abides in you, you cannot keep up with a life of sin because you've been born of God. So wherever you find yourself today, maybe you feel guilty for the things that you've done. Just know that God loves you so much that he will meet you there today. Maybe you think that God would never take you back after what you did. But just like the parable of the prodigal son, which was given to us really to describe how deep the Father's love is for us, God is waiting for you. Don't read it as guilt. Read it as grace. Grace that will meet you in your guilt, that will wash your sins white as snow, like Isaiah says. But also read it as identity. Because you are a child of God. Sons and daughters of God himself. Live like that. You know, whenever I study these passages, and I, you know, I, read, I read them over and over and over and over. And so I'm just reading this passage over and over and over. And I, and I was, as always, I'm reading it over. And I look at the bookmark that I kind of kept in my, in my notebook. And it's, it's right there with me. And I'm reading this passage. And, I'm, and every, time I, I, every time I'm opening it, like I see this incomplete work, right? That's sort of just wedged into this page that I'm studying. And every time I see the bookmark, it's a fresh reminder every single time. It's, I, I'm, I'm not making this up. For the last couple months, every time I see it, I'm like, oh, that's, what all, that's a lot of things that I'm not. That's a lot of things that I don't get done. It's a lot of things that are not good. I'm like, thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate you doing that for me, man. But finally, I realized something. See, I read verse two. And I read it just, just like this. I was reading it, and I, and I had the bookmark right there. And I read it while looking at the bookmark. And this is what verse two says. It says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And this verse made me realize something. This verse that I read with this bookmark that sat next to the very page I was reading it, right? I pulled it out, I started staring at it, I'm just like, hmm. And suddenly I realized, and I don't know if this was God speaking, Hebrew says that this is how God speaks a lot most of the time. You're going to get it in the Bible. So, you know, God was speaking through the, through the word or maybe it was just the Holy Spirit subtly saying something to me. I don't know. But I, I looked at that thing and I, and I realized what we're doing in Detroit, what we're doing in this community, what God's doing in my family, what God's doing in my life through all the stuff I'm trying to navigate, the things that I'm trying to get right and I still get wrong sometimes, the work in progress that is salvation, the work in progress that is mission. It's not something that's going to happen in 20 minutes. Every detail matters. And if we just try to sort of broad stroke the whole thing, like some of you guys did on your... On your, on your if we just try to broad stroke the whole thing, what we're going to end up with is a mess that we're probably going to want to throw away anyway. But though I am not what I will be, 
here's what I am right now, and it's what we all are. We are God's children now. It's not guilt. It's grace. It's enough grace to get me to tomorrow, where grace will be waiting for me to get me a little further and a little further. And as I keep dreaming and as I keep moving forward and I keep working hard, I'm constantly reminded of the reality of what a seed is, right? It it says that God's seed abides. A tree doesn't grow overnight. A baby doesn't grow overnight. See, here's the thing about a seed, and I know you all know this, but sometimes we just got to talk about it. We just got to be reminded. A seed really initially, especially on its own, it doesn't do much at all. Well, this is a sunflower seed that you can eat it. Most seeds, they don't do much at all. What a seed represents is potential. It represents the potential for something else to be created. And when it's planted, if it is given the proper conditions, it will become something new. Take, for instance, in our backyard, we have this tree. And we cut down this tree two years ago, and we've been trying to kill this tree because we don't want this tree here. But the, and, and, and so it's a negative example, but hopefully it gives you some insight on what it's saying, right? Because it goes both ways. I don't want this tree in my house. I don't want it in my yard. What it's doing is it, the roots were getting in the, the water, the drains, and it was backing up the water. It was really gross. And so we cut it down. We're trying to kill it for like two years now. But what happened is from this tree and all the shakeups that happened when we cut it down, suddenly we started noticing around our yard several new trees beginning to grow in our backyard. So some we pulled up right away. Others we didn't notice much or we didn't pay much attention to. But then this spring, after the winter, Don and I go out, we see several of these small trees that are already grown to a place where we can't pull them out anymore. If we want to stop them from eventually becoming enormous trees in our backyard, we're going to have to physically dig them out because they're growing stronger and stronger. And as we're looking at this thing, these things, we're asking each other, where did this come from? How did this get here? How did it get so big so fast? And we didn't even notice it. But a seed is a very powerful thing, isn't it? And even if all you do is place it in the right conditions and you leave it, it's going to do its thing. And this is the way that this really just stuck out to me as I was studying this. See, chapter 3 begins by saying, you are God's children. We're his children. Automatically, we're his seed. We're the ones that come from him. But the very next thing that he says, it's in verse 2. He says, what we will be, it hasn't yet appeared. It hasn't come yet. And in my life, and in your life, who we are going to be has not yet appeared. We are all journeying into who it is that we will become. And the more that we go, the more that we learn, the more that we grow, and the closer we'll get. But if your journey today doesn't look like the way that you thought that it would, if your life doesn't look the way that you thought that it would, remember, we're not who we will be. But God's seed abides in us. 
And I truly believe that if we seek Jesus and if we love Jesus and if we let ourselves be overtaken by the absolutely amazing grace of Jesus, we will become more and more and more like him every single day of our lives. And I also have faith that tells me that one day we're gonna all look back on our lives and all that God did through us and through this church and through things that come from it and through things as we all grow and we expand. And we're going to ask ourselves the same questions that Don and I are asking about our trees right now. We're going to ask ourselves, how did we end up here? How did this get so big? How did we even end up okay? How did I overcome that? How did we go from where we were to where we are right now? Please do not feel condemned because you've fallen short. All have fallen short. It's the ones who think that they've arrived, that's who I'm worried about. It's the ones who think that they actually earned what they have. It's the ones who actually think that they are who they should be. They're exactly who they should be. I don't need anything, I earned it. You didn't earn anything. Sorry, Jesus did it all. God loved us so much that he let it all happen. He sent Jesus for it to happen, for you, for me. Because you and me, all of us, we are God's children. And the Father's love for his children, it knows no end. It knows no end at all.